This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We're speaking today with Laura Perna, a professor at Penn's Graduate School of Education, to discuss some pressing issues around student loans. In a recent paper for the Penn Wharton Public Policy Initiative, Laura offered some ideas for students and government. Uh, it's understood, Laura, that on average, uh, students are acquiring a huge amount of debt to get through college today, and many of them are really struggling with that. There's now some $1.2 trillion in student loan debt out there, and more than a million students have defaulted on their loans based on the latest statistics. And so um, why don't you give us an overview of your study and what you found regarding these issues? Great. So um, we this... Uh report is really designed to help inform understanding of who's borrowing and what are the consequences of borrowing. You know, as you suggest, borrowing is now a really common form that students and families have to pay for college. There are only so many mechanisms available for students to pay college costs. They could have the money to pay from current income. They could have the money to pay from savings or they could have the money from grants. If those sources of funds aren't available, there's really only loans or paid employment. And so many, with the rising cost of college and the recognition of the importance of college, um, many students are using loans. So I think that um, maybe we should start with this idea because it comes up a lot. There's you read a lot of stories with a headline that says something like, is college worth it today? Is uh, in these huge expenses, the big interest on the loans, people are coming out with all this debt. Um, why don't we talk about that? What is the average debt and uh, and what are the economics of that? Does it pay off in the end? So on average, a person who earns a bachelor's degree has about $30,000 in debt. So that's the average. And so that recognizes that there are folks with more and with less. But on average, you know, that's a pretty reasonable amount, especially when compared to the expected increase in earnings that's associated with earning a bachelor's degree rather than a high school diploma. So projections of this vary, but, you know, on average, you know, half a million dollars more. And so um, from a cost benefit perspective, borrowing pays off. There are a couple of important caveats to that. One is that, you know, that comparison really is for people who finish a degree. And one of the really important issues facing our country, I think, is, you know, the high number of students who start college but don't earn a degree. Now, if you're if you're starting and not finishing, you still have all that debt. That's a big problem. So you're, you're suggesting that the default rates for that group uh, are higher than for students that finish it. It, it kind of makes sense. Uh, but there's some other problems that that uh, around student debt that you have found in your study and some things that uh, the, the government and maybe students themselves can do to kind of, uh, I guess, ameliorate a little bit at least a lot of the problems that we read about. Could you talk about those? Sure. So, um there are several important issues. So uh, I do want to underscore how important it is to focus on making sure that people who start college are able to finish because you're right. uh, Folks who um, do not finish are more likely than others to default on a loan. In fact, failing to complete a degree is a more important predictor of default than the amount borrowed. So it's really completion is a key part of that process. It's, a, it's almost as if you would give advice to say, borrow more and finish. You're, you'll be better off in the long run. 
Exactly. You know, some of the data suggests that some students are making choices not to borrow and instead engage in higher amounts of paid employment while they're going to school. But uh, working more hours per week, you know, there's only there are only so many hours of time in a week. And so spending more time in paid employment means that you probably have to shift to part time rather than full time status. And that could extend your time to a degree. You may decide to stop out and try to work more to earn money to pay college costs. And that may delay your going back or perhaps even, uh, you know, reduce your odds of completion. Mm-hmm. The other thing about this that strikes me, and you, you touch on it in the paper a little bit, is the decisions that students make on how much to borrow, where to go to school. Uh, the, these all play a role. What, you know, what school to go to? Some schools are very expensive. Some are much less expensive. I remember a couple of years ago there was a story in the New York Times about um, a young lady who went to NYU, which is a very expensive private school, and she was studying uh, graphic design, I think. And when she came out, she was earning $30,000 or something like that, but she had $200,000 in debt and the economics there just don't work. So maybe that wasn't the best decision on her part uh, to go to such an expensive school if that's what she wanted to do. Could you talk about the decisions that students themselves can make to help themselves? Yes. Uh, so certainly pay, one thing to pay attention to would be the average completion rate at an institution. And so in that example, NYU has a, a fairly good completion rate. And so, um, but, you know, looking at completion rates as you're making choices, both for the institution and the program, um, you know, that student, you know, taking on that much debt is quite unusual. And so really paying attention to how much debt students are taking on. Um, And so there's an obligation here on students, but there's also a role of government and colleges and universities to try to help students be well-informed about loans so, uh, you know, one of the important issues in understanding all this is just how complex our system of financing higher education is in the United States. We have many different forms of student financial aid. There are many different types of loans. So there, uh, we have federal loans and non-federal loans, but even within federal loans, there are different types of federal loans. So there, are a lot, there is a lot of complexity. Understanding, um, you know, when you get the financial aid letter from an institution, what exactly is in that financial aid package, what portion is in the form of grants that you don't have to repay, and what form is what share is in the form of loans that you do have to repay is, is important. So what, what are some of the, uh, I don't want to say bad decisions because the students are 17 or 18 years old making these decisions, hopefully with some parental help, but what, what are some of the challenges they face and what are some of the mistakes that they often make for lack of information or whatever it may be when they're looking at this complex, uh, these complex programs you're talking about? Right. So, you know, I, uh, tend to put the, I try to focus on uh, the responsibility of institutions and government rather than blaming the student, you know, because I think students generally are trying to make the best decisions they can with the information that they have available. Um, And so, you know, I think there's responsibility for students and their families to be proactive and trying to understand how things work. But if you're uh, from a low-income family or a first-generation college student, all this is really overwhelming. There's so much complexity. And in the end, it's expensive, and if you don't have the money, you're going to take out loans, and so there might be a little wiggle room on what the interest rate is, for example, but probably not all that much in the long run. And so um, that 
has us turn towards the institutions and the government, as you were saying. So tell us about their responsibilities, perhaps. So um, you know, even understanding how expensive college is is, um, is complex. So we have the sticker price, so the advertised price of attending college, uh, which would be tuition and fees and room and board and uh, perhaps books and supplies, but thinking about the other costs of associated with living that may be important. And then there's the net price that a student will have to pay, um, and so that would be the actual cost less whatever financial aid. Um, you know, so thinking about one responsibility for institutions, I think, is to help make this transparent and understand, help students understand what they actually are paying and to make sure that students are taking advantage of the grant aid available, for example. So the extent to one really important step in the process is to make sure that students fill out the federal application for student financial aid, take advantage of whatever need-based grant aid is available from the federal government, from a state government, from an institution. Make sure that you're using all that free aid before you begin to think about loans. So you think institutions aren't quite helping students, helping to educate them in advance uh, about the best ways to go about this? There's a lot of variation. We have, you know, one of the strengths of the U.S. higher education system is that it's large and it's diverse and there's hypothetically an institution for everyone. But that's also uh, a characteristic that can work against a student as a student is trying to navigate their way into and through higher education institutions. You also note in the paper that... um, one of the areas that is contributing to the higher default rate, uh, in addition to, to uh, students that are dropping out having higher default rate, but also for-profit institutions. Can you talk about that, please? Sure. Yes. So on average, uh, borrowing rates, the amount borrowed, and default rates are all higher at for-profit institutions than in other sectors. Um, you know, For-profit institutions have historically been a um, sector of higher ed that's enrolled high shares of students from low-income families, racial ethnic minority groups, first-generation college students. So they've been a point of access for students. Um, and so, it, But at the same time, on average, you know, completion rates are also low. One challenge is that there's with any, within any sector, um, there's variation, and that's true of the for-profit institutions. So there's some high-performing institutions, but also some institutions that have um, some more problematic outcomes. And so this would be an example of an area for the role of government. You know, we argue in this paper that one important role of government is really to protect students from low-performing institutions. How would they do that? How would that actually work? Is it just giving more information to the students? How would the government accomplish that? So one approach would be around consumer protection and um, putting out uh, information, having um, dissemination and um, institutions reporting information so that students can be aware of different types of outcomes. There's also a role around um, ensuring that um, in terms of oversight, you know, minimizing fraud and abuse, um, investigating complaints around different institutions, around loan servicers, things like that. And then there would be, a, um, in terms of monitoring inst- institutional performance, so the government should be playing a role in, in ensuring that these institutions are operating well. You also note that uh, something that can help students and help, help them get through and maybe help the default rate is this, this forbearance and deferment tools. Can you discuss that a little bit? Mm-hmm. 
So one of the advantages of using a federal loan as opposed to a private loan, for example, is that the federal government has these provisions in place to recognize that some students are going to have some challenges along the way in repaying a loan. And so deferment and forbearance are two options for students who are experiencing some uh, financial difficulty and basically allow the student to stop um, stop their repayments for a certain period of time as they um, get back on track. Deferment is especially useful for students who, for example, take out a loan as an undergraduate and then go back to get more education. And so you can defer the loan until you've finished your education. And that's in a way related to uh, income-driven repayment options. Is that right? Because these are things that maybe students need to be educated more about. Yes. So um, income-driven repayment is an approach that really gets at um, another important issue with loans is they have risk and the risk of non-repayment is is real for folks. Um, And so income-based repayment options provide a a mechanism really for um, addressing short-term and long-term liquidity constraints. So for example, uh, you gave the example of a student who perhaps graduates from college and the earning, the annual income is lower than expected or, uh, or whatnot. And so um, by targeting the repayment or linking the repayment amount to that earnings, that helps protect the student and enable the student to actually repay on the loan. So if students were well-educated about forbearance and deferment tools and also about the income-driven repayment options. How much do you think that would lower the default rate? Well, um, with those mechanisms, it should um, really prevent default, right? Those are mechanisms in place that should allow students to, um, you know, have their loan deferred or, um, or, you know, the amount be a reasonable, reason, be reasonable relative to what they can pay. So, uh, so the tools are out there. If if they're the tools are available, but students aren't being educated about them, they aren't they aren't as aware as they should be or could be. Um, but if they were, it would make a, a big difference in the, in the default rate. That's what you're suggesting in this paper. Is that right? Yes. Uh, we also talk about other issues that have to be taken into consideration um, from different perspectives. So from a government perspective, increasing use of income-based repayment also increases cost to taxpayers because um, some share of the loans will likely be written off, right? And so, um, you know, thinking about designing a set of repayment options for students that both minimizes the risk of repayment but also um is sustainable from the government perspective is going to be important too. Okay. What other ideas or conclusions uh, from your paper should we know about? Another point that we raise in the paper is just the need to continue to learn more from data and research about what's working and what's not working. And so we have a recommendation around continued federal funding for research on student loans and really understanding um, who's using loans and with what consequences for different outcomes. Will you be following up this research, uh, looking into those areas? Yes, I've been conducting research on financial aid since my doctoral dissertation, and um, it seems like there's no shortage of financial aid-related questions to continue to address. Thanks for coming in and chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 